Welcome to the Deceptively Fast Podcast. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. We have Shanti Pendergast and Michael Lombardi. Uh, Michael will be joining us at 38 minutes, 38 seconds. It's along with my co-hosts, Paul Gallant, Mike Meltzer, and also Wade Smith, former Houston Texans offensive lineman, was in the room today when we interviewed Michael Lombardi. Thank you to all of you who have descri- uh, subscribed and left reviews on iTunes. If you'd like to leave a review on iTunes, I'd love it. You can also follow us on Stitcher and wherever else. Going to have Gary Myers. He has a new book out about the Cowboys. I interviewed him already. I'll probably put that up on Monday. For now, enjoy Sean Pendergast and all his picks, and I wish you well this divisional round. Deceptively Fast Podcast. Uh, Sean, I don't know if you noticed this last week, but I just wanted to give myself a pat on the back since we're sitting here in a temporary studio. Um, I know you've seen Colin Coward's studio where he sits high on a throne like he's lording over right. the studio and his guests. <laughs> right. I've always wondered about this. I feel like it's some kind of psychological power play. Yeah. I do the exact opposite. I like to put my guest on the higher chair. Yeah. Set him at ease or her at ease to where they understand. Like you, you are lording over me with your opinions right. and whatnot. The, the show is about you, yeah. guest. Yeah. There's a yeah. Like for those a- who don't know, I'm sitting on a. Uh, I'm sitting on one of these chairs that gets harder and harder to get on as I get older. Like it's <laughs> like my my legs are dangling. I'm gonna know? be honest with you. Now that I've said that I was making you more comfortable, you look a little bit more like Ross Perot in that presidential <laughs> debate. Remember when they had the yes. they put for the youngsters out there, there was a presidential debate between Ross Perot, George H. W. Bush, and Clinton, right? Yeah. And Ross Perot's a little fella. Yeah. And Clinton and Bush, you almost wonder if they're in cahoots on this. They set up these really high stools on the stage so that those two could sit comfortably with their feet on the ground. But H. Ross, if he had sat in the chair, would have looked like a little child with his feet dangling. If he is, so he had to stand the whole time. Yeah. It, was a, it was a brilliant stroke of, of political acumen, I suppose. And, and H. Ross Perot wasn't like a career politician. He no, he no wasn't. Business. He was a businessman. And uh and Bush is probably like, we need to do something to get this guy out of here because he's going to split all my votes. Which he did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he did. Exactly. He kind of robbed the election. You know, we, from we got him. to relive that like a month ago when so, uh, when, when forty one passed away. It's like ah, I forgot about that ninety two election yeah, where Ross Perot just came in and it seemed like his sole purpose was to eat into all of Bush's votes. See, I'm uh, basically I'm the exact same as this candidate, but just different. <laughs> right. I've been a more successful businessman, so I'm just going to take some of his votes. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations, Democrats. I'm sure Ralph Nader stole some of Clinton's votes or something. Maybe. But, uh, so you're uh, so without getting too political there, that's <laughs> that's what I'm aiming for. I'm H. Ross Perowing you. There well, you telling go. you that I'm actually making you more comfortable. I feel good. When last we spoke, I don't think anybody had been hired yet for any jobs. I think maybe, you're right. Maybe Matt LaFleur had been hired, but now maybe. we... Maybe. So we, no, I don't think so, because I think we were still talking about the virtues of the Green Bay job. We were, the, we were. Or yeah. the Cleveland job. I'm going to tell you real quickly, I'm going to say this. For one, and we'll get into this, this love for Sean McVay and anybody that's ever even like taken a whiff of one of Sean McVay's farts. Uh, these guys, which is probably true, right? Like if you've been in proximity to Sean McVay in a working environment, 
then you you are a job candidate. Yeah, also because literally I feel like he's such a beautiful person that he doesn't fart very much. <laughs> like I, so I feel like there's very there's a scarcity of human beings who've actually smelled his farts because he, he's like the he's like the male equivalent of a beautiful woman that you look at and you go she probably poops ice cream. Yeah. He's the male not a whole lot of He's process. the male I'm now I'm staunch heterosexual. I'm just saying he's a very good-looking man uh-huh. who can seem to other than losing to the Falcons at home last year in the playoffs do no wrong. I've tried to wonder about this because they're thinking about this because there's a the bar gets lowered a little bit when you're in the football circles yeah because football coach is not a very healthy bunch guys end up with a bit of usually some paunch to them by the time they're 40 because they've been watching so much film and everything but he's like just he he like just became drinking age he's an objectively good you know okay one big misconception about a lot of these hires is that everybody keeps calling them young they're young they're young you know I think Lafleur is 39. 39. Kingsbury is 39. 39. Yeah. yeah, a lot of these guys, um, there's a little bit of Brad Stevens effect going on here, I think, where because they look young, yeah. they, they're they getting classified as a lot younger than they are. So, anyway. Because McVay's younger than all those guys. Right. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. His protégés are actually younger than him. Yeah. Green Bay hires, older, yeah. hires Matt Lafleur. Tampa Bay hires Bruce Arians, not in the uh, good-looking boy band club. Cleveland Browns hire Freddie Kitchens. I'm all for this, although I don't think it's gonna work out. But I like the experiment. Oh, dude! I don't. I have nothing. I don't have no idea if Freddie Kitchens has what it takes to be a good head coach. I think it's gonna be fun as hell. He's never been a play caller until this season. Yeah, he's like the ugly version of what everybody's trying to hire right now. Yeah, I'm reading right here. Let's see. He, uh, some expect a general manager John Dorsey to tab good friend and former Packers colleague Mike McCarthy for this role. Instead, he went with Kitchens, who capitalized on the promotion from running backs coach to interim offensive coordinator, despite never having served as a play caller. And he did a great job. The one thing I wonder about this is, okay, you've never served as a play caller for an extended period. So you've never had, hey, here's a full season of Baker Mayfield, what he likes, what he doesn't like, what what you can and can't do, and had to make those adjustments. Yeah, it. The, the amazing thing to me, Seth, the fascinating thing to me, I guess, about all these hires is that we all know why these guys are getting hired. They've either worked with a young quarterback that they had. You know, Kitchens has worked with Mayfield, so they've got a tiny body of work. You're right, not a big enough body of work to where you know how the guy's going to adjust to a 16-game schedule, but people don't care. I, what's amazing to me is – and let me ask you this. I mean, you've played for Tom Coughlin and you've played yeah. for Dom Capers. Are they – are these hires completely ignoring and diminishing all the other things that go into being a head coach? Like these guys are all being hired basically as souped up offensive coordinators with head coaching jobs so that these teams can plant their flag and it's almost like they they're giving these guys the head coaching position because these guys have leverage. There's only so many of these guys out there that are young, good looking, I guess seems <laughs> to matter. Like I feel like if Mike McCarthy had just done like Pilates, you know, and maybe well, got a different yeah, well, haircut. Like Rex Ryan, remember, got the lap band. That was partly yeah. an effort to get a head coaching job. Right. He wanted to look more presentable, more like a head coach. Yeah. You know, now you got this guy, Zach Taylor, who was Sean McVay's quarterback coach. And I'm like, I don't know what Zach Taylor looks like, but I'm going to Google him yeah. right now. I guarantee he's a good looking young guy. Sure enough, good looking young guy. <laughs> so, but I, I, this is what, and, and the Kingsbury hire is the one that really makes me think this, oddly enough, because he actually has some head coaching experience, albeit at the collegiate level. But when he was getting, when he was getting run for these jobs, I'm going, are people ignoring the fact that he, he wasn't a good head coach in college? Now, I know Kingsbury apologists will come back and say he wasn't able to recruit defense to Lubbock 
Yeah. He doesn't have to recruit defense anymore. You have a draft for that, and he, of course, is going to outsource the defense to somebody. And I the just, GM's handling the draft. All the personnel and, and just, everything else. So it's, he gets to be a head coach and an offensive coordinator. Yeah, So, so, but are we diminishing the other things that go into being a head coach in terms of motivation, tone setting, right. strategy, hiring? I think that – it's such a crapshoot when it comes to all those things. Mm-hmm. And I know you were the first person that uh, informed me about the Peter Principle, which yeah. is the notion that usually in an organization what will happen is people actually get promoted to one position above where they actually should yeah. be. Their level of incompetence. So a lot of times coordinators are perfectly suited to be coordinators, but then all of a sudden you get elevated one more level and the job description is completely different. Yeah. And a lot of times you maybe didn't even have that opportunity to – show those skills in any other step along the way so you don't know who's going to thrive at it who's going to be good at it and who won't if you've been a college head coach we know that's different so maybe you at least say we know this guy has this ability to run an offense work with a quarterback whatever it might be we'll take him in we'll try to give him all the resources we can the gm the scouting staff like i i think honestly more of these head coaches should have almost like a board of directors or a mentor or something to help him through it. Yeah. Which is where, you know, a guy like Romeo Cornell with the Texans is probably a really good resource for Bill O'Brien. Because Romeo has just been there, done that, seen it all. Yeah. And can kind of give him counsel on things. So I think that's I think that's at least part of it is owners conceding that it's a crapshoot. There's a better than a fifty percent chance that any hire I make isn't going to be a good one, so at least we've got this. That's a really good point, and that's probably why it's worked so well with the Rams so far is that Wade Phillips is that guy for Sean McVay. Right. Sean McVay's 32 years old. Wade Phillips is approaching 70. He's seen everything. Um, guys like him. Uh, so that that's probably why it works there. But we're, we're going to have – we're going to have so many head coaching situations heading into next year that are really going to be like two-headed head coaches. Like one guy's going to have the title of head coach, but it's really coach of the offense, coach of the defense, and where the especially where the where the separation has never been more defined than it's been. You know, like Kingsbury, he ain't touching the defense yeah. on, on Arizona. I don't know who he's going to hire. And it's good that which I guess is good news for Greg Williams, who you know got let go in Cleveland, but he's going to wind up he's going to wind up probably having a bidding war to be the defensive coordinator for one of these boy band guys. You know what I mean? Like one of the Zacks or the Cliffs or the That's scary to think Greg Williams is the guy you want to come in and mentor your young head coach because you can see Greg Williams completely going Machiavellian on that. Yeah. You know, just almost torpedoing the dude. But the latest impressions people have of Greg Williams is he won a shit ton of games at the end of the, you know, like as a, you know, as as for a team that was 2-6-1, he got him back into the playoff race in Cleveland. So I I think there's going to be – it's crazy because I feel like you and I have spent a lot of time talking about what a maniac and, and borderline idiot <laughs> Greg Williams is. But he's but, probably grown. Well, but it's but it's undeniable he's going to be sought after. You only need two teams to seek after you, and I think it's safe to say, at, you know, Adam Gase is Gase is another one we can throw in there. I know he doesn't have the McVeigh stench on him, but he's a young guy. Who, it was him and McCarthy for the Jets job. You know, he had it's a young guy who's uh you know he's still even though they. Even though he got fired in Miami, I think still think people have impressions of him as sort of this neo-thinker, play-caller guy. And he had Peyton Manning lob a call to the Jets saying, this is the guy you should hire as well. The one thing I wonder with Gase, like the immediate impression, the immediate thought I have is, okay, if you're hiring Adam Gase, you're inherently making excuses for him based on the quarterback situation and the defense slash front office situation in Miami. Okay, I see that, but 
why is the Jets organization going to be any different? I, those two, they might as well be interchangeable in mind in terms of front office ineptitude, ownership ineptitude, all of those things over the last several years. So I don't know what Adam Gase is going to get or receive in New York that he didn't have in Miami except for a really good young quarterback. No, no, so, and we all see that from the outside, but right. the Jets, I'm sure, look at themselves in the mirror and see, you know, they're like I've made the comparison. They're like Homer Simpson looking in the mirror and seeing the big pecs and yeah. the washboard abs. Like, you know, we all, we all think we probably look a, bit, a little bit better than we actually are. Well, and that's why it's so interesting that the model is exactly what you're talking about in Denver now because you've got Kubiak running in the office, you've got Vic Fangio running the defense. So that's the model, one, yeah. in terms of having – Basically, an offensive coach and a defensive coach um, is the same, except these two are the exact opposite end of the age spectrum. They're both in their 60s. Yeah. So, um, I is Kubiak in his 60s? I think he, he might is. be his high 50s. I think yeah. he's 60 or so. Looks like he's I think 42. He, I want to say he's 60 and Fangio's 66. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Kubiak's hair is 28. Is that, I know. <laughs> Does he color it? He must color it. Uh, yeah, right? probably. I don't like to think of it. I, like I don't to like pretend to think that of he him. doesn't. Yeah, I don't. Because it's, it's one of his most redeeming qualities, and I think he's a quality human being. That's how great his hair is. He doesn't seem like a guy that would color his hair. But uh, he seems like an honest individual. I'll yeah, put it that exactly. way. Yeah, exactly. We had uh, Greg Brady on. Uh, who's the actor that plays Greg Brady? Barry Williams. Barry Williams. We had Barry Williams in studio about a half year ago. And I remember that. He had just gone gray. and I was, So I was looking at pictures of him on my computer compared to like him sitting in front of me gray. He looks so much better gray. Like he just looked uh, like when Ted Danson went gray. You're yeah. like, oh, you know what? This looks uh, this is the way it looks the way you're supposed to look. Yeah, yeah. You're a silver fox. So I'm all for this. I think that I played for Vic Fangio. I played for Gary Kubiak. I don't think the power struggle or any kind of ego is going to get in the way of either of these guys. Mm -hmm. These guys are both just all about football. And I think Vic's going to be very good for Von Miller, um, whose mother, by the way, did attack John, uh, John Elway uh, on either Instagram. I think she attacked him on Instagram just a few days ago. Really? Elway was asked about whether or not he would consider trading Von Miller or anybody else, and he gave the standard, hey – yeah, we you know we got to look at all options and hey Von oh, Miller, God. I think he I think he can play better. I think there's better playing Von Miller. So his mom, of course, saw a little snippet that put that in the worst light possible, and she she went off on John Elway. So uh. I'm sure they're all fine. John Elway issued a statement saying they're all fine. I think Von Miller's gonna love Vic Fangio. Uh, John Elway will just have Kubiak talk to her. John Elway has Kubiak do all of the things he yeah. wants to do. Like, oh, I need a head coach. Coops, come here. Can you get in the player uh, personnel department, Coops? Sure. Like, Kubiak. Kubiak's like the wolf in Pulp Fiction for John Elway. He's the cleanup guy. He's the cleanup guy. Like, Elway's like, hey, man, I got this issue. It's called Trevor Simeon. <laughs> yeah. Gary Kubiak's like, I'll be there in 30 minutes. And then you the next that. caption is nine minutes and 38 seconds later, and, the, and Kubiak pulls in. Kubiak probably didn't pull in in the sports car like in the sports car, uh, sports car like the Bugatti like the Wolf did in Pulp Fiction. I feel like Kubiak probably pulls in in like a very cost efficient, fuel efficient Toyota or something like that. <laughs> like Kubiak comes peeling in in a Camry to solve the problem. I don't know if I'm comfortable making this comparison, but there's so many similarities that jump out at me. Um, Bruce Arians going to Tampa Bay where the quarterback is Ben Roethlisberger. Let's compare Jameis Winston to Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, big arm guys, big arm guys with perhaps some uh, malfeasance off the field. Possibly a little rapey. Uh, they're just, you don't know quite about them. Maybe lack of judgment at times. Yeah. Although Ben Roethlisberger had much more success as a young quarterback, I think it's safe, safe to say Ben Roethlisberger had more talent around him in a better oh, organization yeah. around him when he was a young quarterback. Yeah. I don't know if I can – I don't – 
having seen some of the things that Jameis Winston tries to pull on the football field where he just acts like he shouldn't even be looking where he's from. He tries no-look passes. The way Pat Mahomes pulls off those no-look passes every mm-hmm. now and then where it's absolute brilliance, Jameis Winston is the exact opposite of that. Like, whatever the opposite of Helen Keller is, that's what Jameis Winston is. Like, she did the most with her blind blindness, dumbness, and deafness. Yeah. Jameis Winston is, like, running into traffic he's as mi- Helen Keller. He's minimizing all of yeah, his Yeah, like, just tools. lofting the ball up in the air yeah. blindly. I, I don't. I don't hold out high hopes that anybody can do anything in Tampa. Is it better to walk into a job where you have a a guy, like a project like Jameis Winston with one year left on his deal as a head coach or a place that has a young quarterback or maybe you can draft a quarterback? Only because like, if it doesn't work out with Winston at this stage, they're not going to blame Bruce Arians. They're going to blame Jameis Winston. Right. Um, Which he's, I mean, that's and that's where they are. And they'll let him go draft a quarterback of his choosing, I would imagine. Kind of like the case that lovey smith stepped into was it not because uh, they didn't have they didn't have a Jameis winston yeah um well and then they fired lovey because they wanted to promote dirk cutter dirk they wanted to have dirk cutter dirk like, cutter was the first of the offensive coordinators that they had to keep that's like now with, like with the browns where hey you got to keep freddie kitchens you got to keep freddie kitchens <laughs> crazy uh, if we're gonna have to if we're gonna have to promote him from within then so be it i don't think freddie kitchens even made a cameo on hard knocks I don't know. I don't think so. I don't even remember seeing him. Is he keeping Wiley around? Is he keeping the offensive line coach around? I believe I saw. Because it's going to be awfully hard to move him. I believe he saw that he's gone. Is he? But I'm not sure. That might have been just some meme I saw. Okay. Uh, There are a lot of people, a lot of of jokes made about Bob Wiley, so I don't know. Right, as all the changes were going on. Let's get to the games this week. Okay. You have your picks out in the I Houston do. Press. You should go to HoustonPress.com and look for Sean Pendergast pieces. Yeah. Every, you, you continue these through the offseason. Right? Yeah, I do. I'm trying yeah. to. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still in bounce back mode. Uh, <laughs> it was not a good week last week. We don't need full disclosure. No, here. well, that's okay. I, yeah, no, I, I didn't have a good week last week. And, in fact, so bad that I uh, – that it's been going bad enough lately to where I uh, I put the YouTube up at the beginning of my article of Kramer – on Seinfeld, the episode with the AIDS walk, yeah, where he was smoking and drinking the night before, <laughs> and then gets beat up by the two homosexual guys because he yeah. wasn't wearing the AIDS ribbon, and then he's stumbling across like he's <laughs> closed, tattered, like stumbling across barefoot across the finish line. That's how I feel at the end of the football season. But I feel good about. I like these games this week. I feel good about these games this y- week. You are picking the Chiefs at plus five point. Or picking the Colts. The Col- I'm sorry, the Colts. The Colts plus five point five over the Chiefs. Um, this one makes me really nervous. If I were a gambling man, this I, I think I'd stay the hell away from this one. I don't know what to believe about the Colts' defense because I just saw them put the smack down on the Texans in Houston. But I haven't seen them do it versus a genuinely good offense. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering what they're going to look like in Kansas City. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to wonder. The reasons I like the Colts in this game um, are um, – they uh, the way they ran the football against the Texans I thought was pretty encouraging. The Texans came into that game with the best rush defense in the league yep. as measured by DVOA. The Chiefs have the worst rush defense in the league as measured by DVOA. So if you're going on the road, you want a team that can run the football, and they can run the football. Um, the other thing is Andy Reid is has been he's been terrible in the postseason. Uh, his last seven games in the postseason, he's one and six, and the only win was that thirty to nothing win over Brian Hoyer. Uh, back in 2015, if you're looking for more bullet points and ammunition against Bill O'Brien this offseason, Andy Reid's only win in like the last decade in the playoffs came against the Texans and Bill <laughs> O'Brien. Um, the My concerns with the Colts 
and it will probably be a bigger concern next week if they're able to somehow win this game um, just because of the cumulative effect. But this is really their third straight elimination road game that they've played. Oh, yeah. You know, week 17 against Tennessee was basically a playoff game because the winner of that game was going to move on. The loser was going to go home. That was in Tennessee. And they come here to Houston, take on the Texans. I don't, the Texans didn't put up much of a fight. And they, they, get, they do get an extra day rest on this game because they played Saturday last week. So they get an extra day to prepare and to, to rest up. And now they go to Kansas City. They'll inherently go on the road next week if they're able to win. I'm only really worried about this week, though, and I just I like him. I like him keeping it within five and a half in this situation. Andrew Luck's playing really good football. Um, it's not a great Chiefs defense, um, so yeah, I like the uh, I like the Colts in that game. I think, as far as being those road warriors and having that constant stress of of the elimination game. I think that having a coach like Frank Reich helps a lot in those situations. I'm just thinking back to when we were in the playoffs when I was with the Jaguars with Tom Coughlin, that by the end of the season with Coughlin, whether you were in the playoffs or not, in in the Jacksonville Jaguars version of Tom Coughlin, you were tired. Like, you were very, very tired by the end because there was so much constant stress all the time. We're afraid Frank Reich, you know, holds guys to high standards, but it's a more laid-back atmosphere and environment. And I think that's one thing that Tom Coughlin improved when he got to the Giants. It was a, it wasn't as incredibly high stress, and those guys performed a lot better in the postseason. So I, I'm with you there. And I also, having witnessed that Colts rushing offense up close and personal last week, they just, man, they know what they're doing. They, that's a good they, offensive line. It's man. a good offensive line, and they they use deception really well. They use pulling guards and tackles really well, mm-hmm. and they disguise it and then hit you in the mouth. Mm-hmm. And I think versus that Chiefs rush defense was just, just atrocious. Um, I I like that one, but like I said, it makes me nervous just because Pat Mahomes is so good, and I haven't seen the Colts face anything like that. Are you nervous that it's Mahomes' first playoff game, or does he look like a guy who the moment's not going to be too big I don't for? think he's – I think he's, have enough he's got him. that Robert Ori about him where yeah. he just DGAF. Yeah. You know, yeah, he yeah. Just, he's just going to go and do it, and maybe he throws three picks, but it's not because the moment's too big for him. It's because he's playing just as loose as he ever does. Gotcha. So, Cowboys-Rams. Yep. Rams who are scoring 37 points per game at home. Who do you have in this one? Uh, I have the Cowboys in this one, plus seven. I like the Cowboys in this game. So I've got the two underdogs on Saturday. I know we're going to get to Sunday here in just a second. And I've actually got the, uh, I've actually got the under uh, hook, to, uh, hook to the Cowboys and, uh, and the Rams. Hook to the Cowboys, plus seven. James Ahedabo just poked his head, and that's why there was awkward pausing. This is the pausing. creaking in us topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I like the un- – I, I think the under is a good correlation in this game, and I'll explain that in a second. But I like the – I like the Cowboys' ability to run the football. They've been really good as a balanced offense since Amari Cooper got there uh, in late October. They're eight and two straight up, six and three against the spread with Amari Cooper on the team, um, or eight and two straight up since the trade, and six and three against the spread in their last nine games. Um, and the three against the spread losses, two of them were by half a point. Mm-hmm. So, um, so they they've played really good football. The Rams have not been dominant over the last half of the season, four and nine against the spread since their three and zero start. Um, so they've they've been winning games, but they haven't been winning games impressively. Um, if if somehow this line pokes up to seven and a half, uh, I would be all over it because yeah. now you're getting two scores. Seven's a football number, but I think the reason I have the Cowboys plus seven, Seth, and the under in the game, the under's forty nine. 
which is a lot if the Cowboys are able to control the tempo in the game. I know it's a high number because of the stat you just said. The Rams have scored a lot of points at home, but I but think Ezekiel Elliott's going to be able to run. He's going to be able to run the yeah. football. The Rams' rush defense is not good. I think the Cowboys have. I think the Cowboys have enough speed on defense to be able to hang with the Rams. And I, I'm not totally sold. I'm not totally sold on either of these quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. These are probably the two least trustworthy quarterbacks that are left in the postseason playing in this game. One of them's got to win. Um, I don't know if I totally trust Jared Goff, to be honest with you. Um, in uh, yet, you know, Dak had a nice game last week against the uh, against the Seahawks. I just think of this game. The reason why it makes sense to hook the two of them together, the under forty nine and the Cowboys plus seven, is if you believe in the Cowboys, it's probably going to play. The game's probably going to play in a certain way to where it's more like a a twenty to seventeen, twenty four twenty. Control the clock, long time of possession. Keep Jared Goff and the Rams offense off the field. So I think there's going. I think if you're someone who believes in the Cowboys, then inherently you almost have to believe it's going to be a lower scoring game. I think so too, especially because the Cowboys can do some of the things that both the Lions and the Bears did defensively versus the Rams. Um, now the Rams were on the road for both the Lions and the Bears games, but the Cowboys can play that way too. Like I hate saying there's a blueprint to beat a team, but whatever that blueprint was for those teams, the Cowboys can do that. And also that includes limiting the big plays, which yeah. which factors into the lower score game like you're, like you're saying. By the way, the Cowboys played in one of the all-time bad beats last week if you had Seattle plus – or if you had Cowboys minus two and a half. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. They were up 24-20. They were up 24-14 to towards the end of the game on the Seahawks. And Seahawks score a late touchdown, makes it 24-20. Normally, they would just kick an extra point there and make it 24-21, and the Cowboys recover the onside kick, and you go home and your Cowboys cover yeah. minus 2.5. Sebastian Janikowski was injured, yep. so the Seahawks were forced to go for two. Yep. They get the two-point conversion. So if you were a Seahawks backer uh, last week, you got a uh, – you get a gift from the gambling gods. That's what makes yeah. That's why that's why gambling makes it so much more interesting. Yes. So many more elements to it. I hadn't even thought anything about that at all. But Sebastian Janikowski's aged, brittle. Uh, what did he tear? Was it his? Who knows? Uh, yeah, <laughs> the guy's probably walking around with ten torn muscles right now. Uh, Chargers Patriots. It's in Foxborough. Melvin Gordon has two injured MCLs. Uh, all these things. And I yet, just, I see a lot of people picking the Chargers. This yeah. the numbers gone down, Seth. It started. It opened at Patriots minus five. It sat at minus four and a half for most of the week. And last I looked this morning when I put these picks up, it was Patriots minus four. So there's there's a lot of people that seem to be buying into the, um, you know, ding dong, the witch is dead with Belichick and Brady. Um, and it may very well be, you know, the, the standard for them is getting to and winning Super Bowls. So it could very well be that the Patriots could win this game this week, and it's still ding-dong, the witch is dead. They could go into Kansas City next week and get their clocks clean. Yeah. Well, um, and you look, at the, look, the Patriots are a rushing football team now. Yeah. They're, uh, like, I'm not going to call Tom Brady a game manager or anything, but they're a team that needs to run the football, and you just saw the Chargers whoop up on one of the scariest rushing attacks in football. That's a game plan offense. Yeah. Okay, like I know O'Brien pays this lip service to we want to be a game plan offense, and I'm sure he wants to be, um, but – the fact of the matter is, like the it's pretty impressive with the Patriots that they've spent you know they spent a big chunk of the year doing what they normally do with Brady and the dumps to the backs out of the backfield and the you know trying to work Gronk in as much as you can. They had Josh Gordon for a little while, and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, like in Week 15, they're like, well, we're just going to run it 40 times for 270 yards, and now 
that's kind of what they do. Like they're, you know, they're a they're a run first sort of team. I think it's pretty impressive to me. This whole play is based on Belichick in this specific situation. In uh, since 2011, after a bye week, which he's had every year since 2011. Uh, he's seven and zero straight up. He's six and one against the spread. A lot of blowouts in those in those covers. It really does. As a Texans fan, you go through and you analyze this game, and it really hits home as to just how, just what a catastrophe it was to lose the two seed down yeah. the stretch at the end of the year. When you see Belichick's record, and you go back and relive some of the box scores of the divisional round with the Patriots hosting someone who just played a week before twice, it was the Texans in 2012 and 2016. So you had to relive that, but um, Belichick's just so good in these situations. I, I'm not, you know, the Chargers have their their offensive line is is okay. I guess I just I, you know I feel like Belichick's going to have some stuff schemed up for Philip Rivers, and I this is also a Chargers team that's going to now have to have traveled back to the West Coast. Oh yeah, and you know, this to, is a noon game, right? It's a noon game. So, so they're I, I heard nine you say, a.m. their body clock. Right, I heard you say that on Mad Radio earlier today, and it's a great point. And it's so messed up the seeding. That the fact that the division champion gets a home seed, a home a home game over a team that had a better record. I heard them. you say that. I'm thinking like I see. I'm someone who kind of likes that the division winning the division yeah. means even if it's a little bit illogical. I like that the winning the division means that much. But you're right. I almost feel like it should be uh, one of those things. Like maybe the Chargers, if you have a better record than the team you're going up against, you have home field. If it's the same or worse record, then you got to go on the road. I like, like the that. tie a goes tie to the division somehow. winner. Yeah, and I under, like and the division winner makes the playoffs. Like right. if, if it's one of those years where it's eight and eight, but okay, fine. You, know, you make the playoffs no matter what. Right. I, I just this feels like an injustice to me. I don't. I don't know if it would feel like as big an injustice if it was a team other than the Patriots. Here's, but that just adds yeah. the insult to injury. Well, here's the thing about the Chargers, though. Like, it's the most unique situation uh, because they basically play road games every week. Right. You know, like, even if they played a home game, uh, like on paper, a home game against the Patriots, the place would probably be two-third Patriot fans yeah. out there at that soccer stadium. A, you know what? There's a logical fallacy somewhere here, but I can't quite pin it down. But it's annoyed me all year long when I hear people say, well – the Chargers have a better record on the road than they do at home because every game they play is a road game. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah, but then that means that they should have a better record at home. Right, right, right. They should it just, doesn't make any sense. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah. It's just random – whatever. I, I can't quite pin it down on how to eloquently say it. Um, there, and there's one other stat, though, like if you're back in the Chargers, and I know like when I bring these things up, like I, I want to bring up both sides when we talk about these games. I like the Patriots in this game, but the Chargers – they are a great road team this year. I think they're yeah, seven and they one are. on the road yeah. this year, and or maybe they may be eight. No, I'm not sure. I, I I'm not totally sure. But um, there was a stat that I saw, um, and I'm pulling it up right now, um, about teams that have won nine road games during a uh, during a calendar year. Now the link won't open. But the the bottom line is, teams that have won nine road games. You know, which would basically be yeah, and they are undefeated away from home. They're eight zero away from home. Okay, yeah. yeah. So teams that have won nine road games, obviously you would need to win a playoff game on the road. Uh, they've all gone on to win the Super Bowl. Teams that have won nine road games no in, a, in a season, in a regular plus postseason, they've all gone on to win the Super Bowl. Going back to like the late nineties, it's um, which the Chargers have won nine already with that win in Baltimore last week. Eight zero on the road, and then. 
and usually and then, uh, that's one and zero on the road in the playoffs. I think that's one usually a pretty good indicator of your offensive line's strength and ability or your run game's ability. Because I don't really believe in the Chargers' offensive line at all. Right. Except they do. I do believe in the run game when Gordon's MCLs are healthy, but yeah. they're not healthy right now. Uh, let's see, Saints versus the Eagles, and I think every week I say I'm I, I got to stop picking against the Eagles because I'm always going to be wrong apparently for the rest of time yeah but I think this is where the Eagles finally stop winning playoff games yeah everybody's been saying that all week so I'm going to go you know what I'm not going to be one of those people that just says you know what I'm tired of losing betting against you look if if Cody Parkey's ball doesn't get tipped by a fingernail and then hit the upright in the crossbar you know then we're we're not talking about the you know, we're not talking you about know, the yeah. Eagles. You know who those people are? Those who? people who say they're going to stop picking. Those are people that didn't lose their virginity until they were 24. That's right. Like, what if I had just done that? What if I been like, well, didn't didn't work out for like four times in a row. I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to stop. <laughs> it's never going to happen for me. You know, and then you just wait for it to happen. I'm going to sit Those are the same people. Wait Seth. for Nick Foles to take my virginity. <laughs> I'm going to make it happen on my own. Yes. Not that he would. He's a good Christian young he man. He is a good yeah. Christian young man. And, and God may be on his side. God is... His deal with the devil, I didn't realize he had renewed it for 2018. It's uh, it's it, absurd. I love all these – you're seeing all these ridiculous trade scenarios where you look at it regarding Foles and Wentz and people saying, like, well, should they actually trade Wentz? And at first blush, you're like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And then you sit and you think about it for, like, 17 seconds. You're like, oh, oh wait a second. This, <laughs> this actually could happen. If he, if, he, yeah. you know, if he makes a run here – Oh, and the, the, now the Josh Rosen potential trade away from Arizona. We, we spent a segment on that yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> we here. Yeah, this is how deep down the rabbit hole we got with it on the show yesterday was – we were comparing Josh Rosen to like the top four quarterbacks in the upcoming draft. Yeah. And like, would you rather have Josh Rosen or Drew Locke? Would you rather have Josh yeah. Rosen or the kid from Duke who everybody's falling in love with? Josh Rosen or Dwayne Haskins? And, um, uh, and then, but of course, everybody's using the quote from Cliff Kingsbury when oh, he was yeah. at Texas Tech saying he, he would draft Kyler Murray first of round of the draft. Well, like, uh, I don't, I guess. I thought everybody was using that as a joke, but I think some people are actually taking that very seriously where I, I don't know, maybe it'll actually happen. I'm in the business of never saying never now yeah. with the NFL draft and quarterbacks, but that kid's five foot nine at best. Murray? Uh, yeah. I, I just don't know how you can do that. Maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe he's five foot ten. Yeah, and the other thing is like go back, you watch him in Oklahoma. He's throwing the guys that are open by like ten yards. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he's it, just the function of that offense, like it's a lot of – there aren't a lot of tight windows in that offense. Um, so we'll see. We had Sterner on yesterday, Clint Sterner, and he's like the combine is – there's no quarterback the combine is going to be more important for than Kyler Murray because he's going to have so much to prove to guys with respect to his arm. Yeah, and you know? and he has to really display or show that that athleticism is like surreal athleticism. Yeah, Something five, to nine. offset yep. the thing. He should be taking Wonderlick tests right now. Like yeah. every, every drill you do at the combine – Kyler Murray needs to be working at nailing right now, which, yep. by the way, you can game the Wonderlick test. You can you can practice it. Oh, you got You'll like a forty nine on it I at our six ten combine. Did what did you get combine? on it? What did you get on it at the back at the, in the day? At the combine, I think I got a forty or a forty one. Yeah. Um. But then, yeah, I think we did it. I take before we did it at our fake sports radio six ten combine. I'm like, well, I'm not gonna get shown up on this thing. So I, I found some online and did like practice Wonderlicks. Did you and really? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. The truth comes out now. I love that because <laughs> I did. I got a forty eight or something. Oh, you you crushed it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but. 
Which is valid. Like, you know what? That's what the kids – I wish I had done the SAT test prep and everything back in the day. I went That's to all a, it is, is I, taking reps. I, I went to a high school – I went to a public high school yeah. that drilled you on SAT. We took practice SATs every week. Really? And we always had, like, the record number – for the state or the region for a national merit semifinalist. The, you know, the what's the name of the company that runs all that stuff? Is it like Stanford or Princeton Testing Review or I whatever forget. it is? Now, the people that actually run the SATs, that company, they always try to counteract like the uh, – they, they try to say, well, there's no evidence that you can actually practice to get better at it because yeah. I think they need to make it look like it's a – that it's just a true test of your academic potential. Right. But no, it's like anything else in life. If you practice it, you're going to get better at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, you can get better at anything. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I'm on I'm on the Saints. I don't we don't need to spend too much time. I like the Saints. I like them at home. I like that place to be loud. I like the luck to run out for the Eagles. Yes. And I like the over in the game as well. All right. Over 51. And by I, the way, I quickly I found that the the tweet the teams, only teams in the Super Bowl era. Uh-huh. So this goes back before the 90s. The only teams in the Super Bowl era to win nine-plus games outside of their home stadium, including the playoffs, all went on to win the Super Bowl. 2016 Patriots, 2007 Giants, 2005 Steelers, 2000 Ravens, 89 and 84 49ers and the 72 Dolphins. You know what? That's notable because when you first brought up that stat, I thought, well, yeah, but those are probably all awesome teams. Not all of those teams were awesome in the regular season. So you should be able to tell something from the the road record. That said something about those teams. The 07 Giants were 9 and 7 right, in the regular right. season. They were 9 and 7. Boy, what a miserable experience for Giants fans that season. They were nine and seven in the regular season, and they won all their road. So they won eight road games. They only won one well, game. Well, no, at no, home. no, no, no. Well, it's nine plus games outside of their home stadium, including the playoffs. Oh, so, oh okay. So okay. they were the four seed, I think, because they won their division. Okay. So they had to win two games. I remember they beat the Packers in the NFC okay. title game that year. I, I forget gotcha. who they beat. So they, so they, but it means they went seven and one on the road that year. Right. It means they won at least six or seven games on yeah. the road that year. So, um, so yeah, the 07 Giants. Maybe we should have. Maybe we should have seen that that vanquishing of the undefeated Patriots coming back in the day. Yeah. Well, here we go. All right, man. It'll be a fun week, and I, I hope you get back on track. I hope I so. do too, sir. <laughs> Thanks, bud. And thank you, Sean. Also, since we got kind of sort of political there and just discussing a political event, I know I have to correct something. I went back and looked up. It was actually Bill Clinton that swapped out the chairs before that presidential debate between him, H. Ross Perot, and George H.W. Bush. So Clinton actually got to rehearse on the set in those uncomfortably tall stools. It hurt Perot a lot more than it hurt H.W. Bush, but H.W. Bush never looked quite comfortable on how to perch on there while still looking presidential. H. Ross Pro is just simply a size disadvantage. So crafty move by Bill Clinton. I'm not making a value statement on that. Please save your emails for somebody else. And uh, here we go with Michael Lombardi for our weekly visit, along with my Mad Radio co-hosts, Paul Gallant and Mike Meltzer. And also we had Wade Smith, former Texans offensive lineman, sitting in the studio today as well, so uh, he joined in on the conversation. We are joined by Michael Lombardi of The Athletic. I just read an article about the five neediest teams in the NFL and what they need that he's got on there. Also author of Gridiron Genius. Michael, uh, this morning we have the usual crew, plus Wade Smith, former offensive lineman um, from the Texans and a couple other teams. I don't want to do this to Wade Smith on the spot. No, we're not going to do it. I was going to ask you for your scouting report on Wade Smith. Why not? Wade was 
Wade was an athletic tackle. You yeah. know, I think Wade could move his feet. You know, he was a guy that I think if the zone schemes favored more than the power teams. Now, that's not a knock on you, Wade. I'm not saying that. I think there's all linemen fit a certain scheme. And I'm nodding as you're talking, that, so don't feel bad at all. <laughs> I'm nodding right. as you're talking. So uh, I think that that, you know, and, and so I think that was the game that was best for him. Oh, boy. And I don't want to do this. All right, Michael. Do Seth Payne. <laughs> I always thought you were an overachiever, Seth. I thought you were really good. I thought, you know, coming from where you did and, and you played with great intensity and, you know, you had that first-step quickness that I think really propelled you from the one level which people look at you and said when you played there, you couldn't. But that one step, it's hard to judge your quickness, but then when you got in the pros, I thought it was, and I think you got better as a pro player. Yeah, you got to hire this man. I like Michael it. Lombardi. Michael, if you were Cal McNair, now the Texans owner, how troubled would you be short and long term by Saturday's performance against Indy? Well, I think I would have a, you know, I think I would be not, I would not be concerned long term. I think the conversations this offseason have to be, how do we take the Sean and, and not have bad performances against good teams? I think we've got to do that. And I think we've got to get back to, you know, look, we've spent a lot of assets in the last couple seasons to get the Sean here, to get rid of the heist. And we need to come back and improve that. I think we have to uh, get back to really stocking our team up with really good players. We've got to do a great job. I think the the pressure's more on Brian Gain than it is on Bill O'Brien because they've got to improve their team. That that law firm of tackles that I've talked about have to get better. Uh, of Kendall Lamb and Julian Davenport, we've got to be able to take an offensive line that can go on the road and travel and win, which is something I don't think we can do right now. But I think football is not a real hard game to understand. You know, I often, and I talked about this in Gridiron Genius, when you're in the football business, you're in the veterinarian business, the patient never screams to you, you know, we need a right tackle or we need a left guard. You've got to figure it out. And I think the problem for the Texans really comes down to depth in their defensive front, a better offensive line, and we've got to find some guys that can cover. The offensive line was a problem for the Texans all season long, and Deshaun Watson really did not play well in Saturday's game. Mike, do you take a look at Watson, his play over the course of the season, and do you have concerns that maybe all of the shots that he took are perhaps giving him maybe early symptoms of David Carr syndrome? I don't think so. This is a competitive kid. I think I think he... I think he got in a situation where he gets rushed and he gets hit when he's throwing the ball, like the last fourth down in that game. And I think that they've got to do a better job to protect him. And I also think they got to expand the scheme. I think the scheme became very simplistic for other teams. I think you saw the Jets handle it pretty well, even though they won that game. You know, and I think if they have to, I think the Will Fuller injury really hurt this team. And I tried to, I tried to think Sammy Coates could come in and give him an outside vertical receiver, but that didn't really happen. They cut Coates. I think they need better spacing to help Hopkins. I don't want to sound like I'm coaching against the Houston Rockets here, but they need better spacing, and they need to be able to control the line of scrimmage. And I think it's going to come from getting better players. I think this is really – when you break down a team, it comes down to three areas, players, coaches, or scheme. I think they've got to improve in all three areas. I don't think there's anything about that. When they do improve in scheme and coaching, then it becomes even easier. But right now they've got to improve in all three. So, Michael, this is Wade. Um, I proposed a trade idea a little bit earlier in the show, and I want to hear your perspective on it. I, I don't think that the Texans necessarily will pay Jadavion Clowney what he would get on the open market. I think that the fact that they have J.J. Watt here, um, that's a $100 million guy that's performing well, 
Um, there's going to be an issue there with coming up with the numbers that work. And then you have a guy like Antonio Brown that's in Pittsburgh that is disgruntled and looking for a way out. And, of course, the, the organization is looking for a way to get him out of there just because of the troubles they had over this past year and the past few years. Would you do a trade, Jadavion Clowney, for Antonio Brown straight up? And, and if well, it, I, well, go ahead. Go, well, well, I think you can't because Clowney's not under contract. He, you have to franchise him, and then he's got to sign the tender to trade him. So that's a problematic. And then how I'm not sure how the Steelers actually trade Antonio Brown, but I would never trade a dominant defensive lineman for a wide receiver. I would never trade a guy that can impact the game on three downs for a wide receiver. I feel like it's as great as Antonio Brown is, and I tweeted him last week in his last game before he went AWOL that he was reminding me of Jerry Rice. It was remarkable. However, that being said, you know that to me isn't what the Texans need. I think the Texans do need another receiver. But I think they need front seven guys. I think I think Watt, as the year wore on, played too many plays. I think Cat Clowney plays too many plays. I think they have too much. They need depth in their defensive front. I don't think this is a hard problem or a splash problem that the Texans need. They need good, solid players. They need a bunch of three and four million dollar players to come in and give them some depth and build around them. I think less of Clowney will mean more of Clowney, and I know less of Watt will mean more of Watt. Watt played too many plays, and if you look at him as the year wore on, it, it's problematic, and he's such a warrior. He's going to go out there and do his best every week, but I think you can get more out of Watt with less of Watt. Clowney's such a unique player. Like He's part interior player, part edge player, a part outside linebacker, part defensive end. If you're a GM, if you're Brian Gain, what are you saying to Clowney's agents about how you're going to value him? Well, I don't really have much of a conversation. I think that my my best part is is can your client stay durable and can he stay healthy through the contract? You know, I think that would be my only because when this kid's going and he's humming, he's pretty tough to block. So. You know, is he as good as Von Miller? No. Does he have those numbers? Is he Aaron Donald numbers? No. But, you know, I mean, I think this is really trying to manage the situation best. And I would do a shorter-term deal than a long-term deal with Clowney because I would be concerned about durability in the future. The one advantage the Texans have more than ever is they don't have to worry about paying a quarterback yet. And this is when you can collect talent in this current system. When you don't have to pay $25 million, $30 million for your starting quarterback, you can give play money to Watt, to Clowney. You can pay that. You can distribute that money elsewhere. And then when it's time to re-sign Deshaun Watson, you, you would time it up so these guys have been replaced by others. The key to this whole thing, this whole paradigm working, is that Gaines got to draft really well. And they've got to hit with some of these guys. And they've got to make sure they're developing players and the secret sauce is in finding guys in the third, fourth, and fifth round that come in and play and signing guys like the Colts signed, you know, with Danico Autry, guys like that that can come in at $5 million a year and really impact your team. Michael, do you think it's time for Bill O'Brien to hire an offensive coordinator? You know, I think it would be time. I think he should. Sean Ryan is is obviously been around. I think it would be good to him to pass the torch a little bit, even though Bill's always going to be involved with the offense. I think it would be good to take a step back and see the value of the game and understand everything. I would not. Uh, I, I would. I think it's important that a head coach is involved in all three aspects of the game, and I think that's the team's personality must come through the head coach. And I think when you just call plays, sometimes you lose the other aspect. I think they need to be more diversified defensively. I think they got caught in a little situation, but I, I don't fault Rack. I think that they were limited by what they could do in the back end. I think they've got some real issues. They had some depth issues, and I think the cause and effect of giving up draft picks, missing on draft picks, really is where they are right now. They're good, 
they need to get great, and it's going to come from draft picks. To piggyback off of that question about hiring an offensive coordinator, would it be important to bring in an offensive coordinator that's not in-house to perhaps give Bill O'Brien different ideas, or is promoting from within the strategy that you would go about doing that? Well, it depends on who the guy is, you know, and I think that the situation is where do we want Deshaun to go to and where can he grow with him? And I'm not privy to all that information, but I think you have to look over the landscape. Sometimes outside people coming in can only mess it up. They can't help it. You know, so I think they need to build on what they're doing and move forward. And if Sean can demonstrate those skill sets and he's got a plan for where we can take it to, it would be a lot better. I think I think Watson's key to get improvement is if he can keep getting the same reps in the same system and then just add to it. Michael, I read your article in The Athletic on Monday about the way, the way NFL teams are run. I thought it was really interesting. I have kind of a broad question for you because I know you're a big basketball fan as well. If you look at the way the NFL NFL teams are run, do you think, just by and large, NFL teams are more poorly run than NBA teams and, let's say, Major League Baseball teams? No doubt. I think it's no doubt. I think it's it's not even close. I think the, the NBA, can the GM can have an impact on the team because the way it's set up. You know, the, the coach coaches, he doesn't really pick, and it, philosophically, we see that. In baseball, it's, the roles are traditionally done. But I think what's happened in the NFL is that we've got a lot of guys sitting in front offices that don't understand anything about pro football. They don't even understand the first thing about pro football. They're college scouts. They go and there's a huge difference between scouting players and building a team. And I think when you see players and not plays, the great GMs in the league have to see players and plays. They've got to be able to put the player, Wade Smith, zone tackle. He fits what we do. He doesn't fit what we do. It doesn't mean he's a bad player. Scouting's about elimination, not finding. I think we're filled with a bunch of people in the NFL that have really no idea about the game of football from a coach's standpoint from seeing the game inside out. And I think that's why we've seen 15 teams have openings over the last 12 months, and one of them happened to be the Cardinals twice. So 14 of the NFL's 32 teams have had job openings over the last 12 months. That tells you there's an inherent problem within the system. And the guys that are picking the players, whether it's Mike McKagan at the Jets, whether it's Jason Light at the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they were there for the three regimes, you know, and now they're getting to pick another coach. That doesn't seem real fair to me. So that, piggybacking off of your, your statement about guys being in the right schemes and the right fit, you have a guy like Kyler Murray, he's a quarterback that's getting ready to come, and he's deciding to come to the NFL draft now. I know a lot of NFL teams would basically eliminate him from a possibility just because he has he's only, I don't know, five nine five eight, And so he wouldn't be somebody that not every team would look at. But would you say that there is a significant enough of teams that would look at Kyler Murray and think they could bring him in and and build an offense around him, A, and then two, do you think he would be a successful quarterback in one of those type of schemes and situations? You know, Wade, I really fell in love with Kyler all year. I'm concerned about his height. I really am. I'm concerned about him seeing. I think that, you know, there's a time, uh, if you talk to any of the former players at Oklahoma, you know, one of the things that always came out was Baker Mayfield struggled to see. And if you put tape on and watch Baker Mayfield's rookie season, and you see when teams rush him a certain way and force him to stay in the pocket and not and, and have to see it, it's not as always as pretty as people project it to be. Now, I'm not saying Baker Mayfield's not a good player. I'm, I'm certainly not. But there is some limitations due to height. Murray happens to be two inches shorter. So there's even more limitations to height here. So, But his unique athletic skills are remarkable. But I don't know what the success ratio of a 5'9 guy. I mean, Eddie LeBaron, you don't even remember who that guy was. You know, so can he play? You know, I'm I'm dating myself, you know, so 
I, I, I find it – I love the kid. I love the arm. I love the foot quickness, the potential. We can design all the schemes we want, but at some point, like we're learning with Deshaun Watson, you got to stand back behind the center in the pocket and drive the ball and make a throw with people all around you. Can you do it? I don't know. That's the hard one for me there. He's Michael Lombardi. Buy his book, Gridiron Genius. You can also read him on The Athletic, listen to him on The Ringer. Also, Michael, I feel I need to congratulate you because Vic Fangio was hired by the Denver Broncos, and I think you've been advocating Vic Fangio as a head coach for like over a decade, haven't you? Since 1996. I mean, the guy here, the guy, and I love this first press conference. It's not a complicated game. It's about pad level. It's about it's about uh, you, you know fundamentals, techniques. I mean, the Chiefs are one of the worst tackling teams in football. We're going to watch them on Saturday. You know, it really the game is basic down to the element. And I hope Vic and I think Vic has a great opportunity here with Kubiak as his offensive coordinator. He walks into a really good situation, and I think he'll he'll do a good job. Plus, again, as you guys both know, playing in the league, if your head coach is tough, your team's going to be tough. And you need toughness in this league. This is not for the faint of heart. And we hire all these pretty boys who have offensive coordinators. Zach Taylor was coaching the 2016 Cincinnati Bearcats. They finished 99th in the league in college football, and he's become a head coach. And, you know, at some point, who's going to, he's got to be able to punch somebody in the mouth. I ain't seeing it, you know, and I want to see it. Look, I love it. But you got to be able to do it. If anybody watched Bill Walsh's practices, they would never say they weren't tough. And I think these guys are losing the sight between offensive football and what really tough this is about. Death to the pretty boys. Thank you, Michael. You're welcome. Talk to you guys later. Michael Lombardi on Mad Radio. He was on an absolute, not that he normally is not, but Michael was particularly good today. Well, we're getting into his wheelhouse now. Yes. It's the off season. Yeah. Like, as a personnel guy, you got to, this must be probably when you really start to taste the blood in your mouth. You're like, all right, there's prospects out there. There's uh, there's there's work to be done. I'll make it quick with uh, Landry and not take up too much of your time, uh, just with all the segments we have going on and Michael joining us uh, later on Friday. What do you guys have on the show at 10 o'clock? Uh, we're going to talk about the first non-Texans football Friday. We're actually going to learn a lot about the team. They might not be in action, but we're going to see the two biggest hurdles for the huge for the future for the Texans tomorrow. We're going to get into that. We're also going to have James Ahedebo come in and talk about things. And I got to tell you guys, I enjoyed y'all's interview with Gilbert Gottfried. It was very, very entertaining. It was good to hear his voice on the radio. But John Lopez has now decided he's going to listen to Gilbert Gottfried's comedy in there, and I'm disgusted <laughs> with the crap that he's listening to and the crap he finds amusing. He's been listening to it for like six oh, minutes. You're such and a I, soft millennial. I'm disgusted <laughs> with John Lopez you right now. He's a sick human I'm being. I'm looking at Lopez. Lopez, you remember the world's dirtiest jokes? Those books that used to come out, you kids have no idea Lopez the, is kind, a of, sicko. the <laughs> kind of sick, disgusting stuff guy, we used this to. This guy is a slime ball. There, Somebody married this slime be, ball. Listen, there used to be a book called World's World's Dirtiest Jokes. Every year it would come out, there was a, an entire chapter of dead baby jokes every year. Do yourself you a guys, favor. You guys are so soft, you don't know crap about squat. Do yourself a favor, not suitable for work by any stretch, just Google Gilbert Gottfried. The aristocrats. It's oh, that, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's 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 interesting. <laughs> it's compelling. I'll put it that way. All right, let's see what's on tap. I won't even hit the intro because of the time. What's on tap is brought to you by Twin Peaks. What's happening this weekend in the city of Houston and otherwise? Real quick, from a sporting event standpoint, uh, Rockets Cavs tonight at Toyota Center. Sabercats against the Austin Leaf down at Constellation Field for a, from a rugby standpoint. Yeah, U of H against Wichita State at home Ooh, at the Fertitta Center. Too. 
as well. We have the NFL games all on Sports Radio 610. The one I am most looking forward to is tomorrow with the Colts and Char- uh, excuse me, the Colts and Chiefs. That to me, from a storyline standpoint, how those teams are playing, the pressure in Kansas City, I think is the most compelling game of the weekend. I feel the same way. I think that with Andy Reid, all the pressure that's on him, and also with the way that the Colts have played thus far, and the fact that I, I don't know how it's going to play out. I do think the Chiefs are going to score a lot of points, but I mean, man, Indianapolis, that, that was a really good win that they had on Saturday, and they're hot right now. Yeah, I, I pretty much think that the Colts are going to go in there and win the ball game. They have all the tools that you need to do mm-hmm. it. They have a quarterback. that They're going to be able to score points against Kansas City, and I think their defense is good enough to just slow Kansas City enough slow them down enough to pull out a W. I'm uh, I'm grudgingly picking teams that I don't want to pick. Like, I actually want to pick the Colts. Uh, 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 shoot me. I like Andrew Luck. Um, I actually want <laughs> – I don't want to pick the Patriots, but I have to pick the Patriots. I, I just can't. It's damn Foxborough. I don't know what kind of devilry they have bugged in the mm-hmm. communication system and whatnot. I'm picking the Cowboys as an upset. I'm picking the Chargers as an upset. Okay. Yeah. And uh, by Eagles, get the hell out of my life. Yeah, Eagles are done. Yeah, that's, I, that's like at some point the Eagles will lose, and this is that week. That's the one I'm most confident in. The Saints uh, protecting their home field. I'll give the Cowboys an outside shot. They got to hit Jared Goff. That's the big thing. Uh, like the pretty boy thing Lombardi was talking about the coaches. They have to do that defense to quarterback and see what he's made of. Uh, I wish I could pick the Chargers. I'll be rooting hard for the L.A. Chargers on Sunday afternoon, but it's Brady at home, and it's Belichick, and the world is not fair, and I hate the football gods, so the Patriots will likely win. But I'm rooting hard for the L.A. Chargers. Yeah, I think the the Cowboys are going to win. I don't trust Jared Goff. He's been struggling over the past, I don't know how many weeks, and he hasn't been the same guy since Cooper Cup has been out there. Uh, I got the the Cowboys winning that game, and I think the Saints will pull it off and and beat the Eagles. And so you're going to have a a Texas-on-Texas quarterback battle in the Super Bowl either way you slice it because I don't think the winner of the Chargers-Patriot game is going to make the Super Bowl. It's a civil war. What's on tap brought to you by (laughs) Twin Peaks every Friday in the final segments of the show. In the Loop is coming up next. Enjoy the football games this weekend all on Sports Radio 610 brought to you by RideMetro.org. Have a wonderful weekend. Here's Sports Radio 610 and crystal clear audio all across Houston on 100.3 HD2. This is John Feinstein with a CBS Sports Minute. Adam Gase, Matt LaFleur, Vic Fangio, Bruce Arians, Freddie Kitchens, Cliff Kingsbury. All six have one thing in common. They're newly hired NFL head coaches. Actually, they have another thing in common. They're all white. Eight NFL coaches have been fired since the start of the season. Five of them African-American. Marvin Lewis had 16 seasons in Cincinnati. Todd Bowles had four in New York. Hugh Jackson was an utter failure in Cleveland. But Vance Joseph got two years in Denver without a decent quarterback, and Steve Wilkes just won in Arizona. Wilkes is being replaced by Kingsbury, who had a losing record at Texas Tech. Lewis's job in Cincinnati and Gase's old job in Miami are still open. It's remarkable how quickly a white coach with a losing record, Gase, can get a new job. The Rooney rule exists to give minority coaches more opportunities. So far this season, all they've gotten is the opportunity to be interviewed and overlooked. Two jobs left. Are you watching, Commissioner? I'm John Feinstein. Hey guys, good news. The outrageously expensive little blue pill is now generic, which means you can get the prescription medication to treat ED at affordable prices. And Hems makes it extra affordable. Right now, get your first month supply for free. All you pay is just $5 for your medical consultation when you go to 4 slash body. After that, it's just 30 bucks for a month's supply. Sure beats paying big bucks for just one blue pill, doesn't it? Plus, you won't need an awkward in-person doctor's appointment to get the prescription. 
Hims has doctors online who can prescribe the medication, and a pharmacy sends it right to your door. It's affordable, private, and incredibly easy. Nobody likes dealing with ED. Now, thanks to Hims, nobody has to. And that's really good news. To get your first order for just five bucks, you need to go to this exclusive address, forhims.com slash body. That's forhims.com slash body for your first month for just five bucks. Forhims.com slash body. See website for full details. Not all services through the HIMSS platform are available in all 50. I suffered from severe sinus pain and pressure for over 10 years. That's Wendy. She suffered for years dealing with sinus problems and nothing ever seemed to help. But now life is finally better. Why? She had a simple procedure in Dr. Matoran's office called balloon sinuplasty. This is the first winter that I've been through where I did not get sick. I haven't had a cold, haven't taken any sinus medication at all. Make an appointment to see Dr. Matoran and see if balloon sinuplasty is the right choice treatment for you. Call 713-665-8887 or visit drmatorin.com today. If you owe money to the IRS, don't mess around. They could take everything from you, but the game changes when you have a team of tax experts on your side. Like the professionals at Optima Tax Relief. They have an A-plus rating from the BBB. They can protect your paycheck, assets, and everything you've worked so hard for by fighting to get you the best possible tax settlement. Call Optima now for your free consultation. Call 800-845-8122. 800-845-8122. Optima Tax Relief. This is Seth Payne, and I know one frustrating thing when you go to sell your home is that you can't control whether it's a buyer's or a seller's market. But you know what? It's always a renter's market. And you might say, Seth, look, I don't want to rent my house out. I don't know how to. I don't know how to list it. I don't know how to do the repairs. You don't have to when you go with Renters Warehouse. They come in and they perfectly price your house. They find great tenants in just days. And for one low flat monthly fee, they manage your property 24-7. That means they collect the rent. They'll handle the maintenance requests. They'll even warranty your renters. That means if your tenant doesn't stay, Renters Warehouse will replace them for free. No upfront fees, no marketing fees, and no binding contracts. Go to RentersWarehouse.com right now to book a free home rental price analysis and see what your home will rent for. That's RentersWarehouse.com or 713-224-RENT. Find out how much your home will rent for. Point GMC Buick is starting 2019 off with a bang. Prices like these make other dealers' heads explode. Like 2018 GMC Sierra's 15,000 off. You heard right, 15,000 off. 2019 GMC Terrain, 259 a month. That's insane, 259 a month. 2019 Buick Encore to 17.9 or zero percent. That's right, 17.9. No games, no gimmicks. Come see me, Randy Bowman, at West Point GMC Buick on the Katy Freeway. WestPointGMCBuick.com. This is an important announcement for anyone with a student loan who's having trouble with or simply can't make their monthly payments. Pay attention. There's a special toll-free hotline that's been set up especially for you. This hotline will tell you about government programs that can stop all payments for up to three years or forgiveness programs that can eliminate some, if not all, of your student loan debt. But you have to call to see if you qualify. Grab a pen and take down this number or put it in your cell phone. But call 1-800-293-4131. That's 1-800-293-4131. When you call the National Student Loan Relief Hotline, You'll get free information. Even if you're behind, late on payments, or in default, you may still be eligible for these special government programs. Programs that can literally put your monthly payments on hold or cut your payments in half. You can also... 